Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Let me encourage you to be reading ahead for these sermons. We do not have enough time within the course of the 30-minute sermon to cover everything. And so for you to be better prepared to hear the Word that God has for us, you want to read ahead. So today, after last week's bulletin, you should have read all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. Next week, you should read chapter 6 and next chapter 7. If you look in your bulletin, we always have the text for the next week, and we have that cute little box there with all those squiggly lines. There's actually an app to read that. It's called a QR code. And if you shoot that with your cell phone, it will take you to a website that has the Scripture right there for you to read. People come up and say, so what's that for? And I'm like, well, that's what it's for. Okay? It's called a QR code. Get the app. It's a free app for your cell phone. And you shoot that, just like a barcode. You shoot that, and it will take you to the website. And, the, and it will have just the text for the next week. All right? And if you read that a couple of times during the week, you'll be then prepared. Read it during your lunch hour while you're at work you got some time, then you're going to be prepared better to hear what God has to say to us in the coming week. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, Peter and John are going into the temple one day to pray. And there's a man sitting there who is lame. Because he couldn't walk, he couldn't work, and so he would need charity. They didn't have a welfare system. They didn't have Social Security. So the way that you got help was you would just sit there on the, the, the temple step and ask people for money as they were going in. What better time to hit people, right? It's when they're going in to worship God, when they're going in to pray. You, I catch them, hey, you know, God says help poor. Give me something. Help me. And so <clears throat> Peter and John, they heal him. They don't give him any money. They heal him. And it causes this big stir as people, what in the world happened? Well, then in the rest of chapter 3 and and into chapter 4, we have the story as it plays out. The disciples are thrown into jail because by the time this happened and and, and everything, they, they ran out of day. And they said, we'll deal with this tomorrow. So they locked them up at night. And then the next morning, they bring them out. And they said, what are you doing? In chapter 4... We have Peter's defense of what has happened, what they did and why they did it. We want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. We're going to pick up this story. The man has already been healed. They're now, if you will, on trial because of the problem they've caused. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 4. As Peter and John were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. (coughs) And when they'd set Peter and John in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people... Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called Peter and John back and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let Peter and John go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. As we look at this story and what Peter and John went through, we can learn some things about how they handled this situation that can affect us and help us in our lives today as we live out our faith. We ought never to just read Scripture so that we can have some stories and say, that was cool, that was really neat what God did through them. We always want to try to pick the story apart and see what we can learn for ourselves about how we can live out our Christian faith today. Otherwise, what's the point? So what can we learn from these two men in what they did in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. The first thing, grab your Bibles and keep them open and also grab your bullet and flip it over so you can take some notes. I think there are five points this morning. (coughs) What's the first thing that they do right? The first thing they do right is they understand proper priorities. They understand what is most important. Here's a poor man that they run into, and he asks them for money. Do you know why? Very simply, he needed money. That's why he asked. This was not a scam. This was a man who genuinely needed money. What would have happened if Peter and John looked at him and they said, Here, take some money. He would have gotten what he asked for. He would have been happy because he wanted alms. 
He wanted some financial support. He would have taken that money and said, good. And he would immediately look to the next person walking behind him and say, how about you? You want to give me some money too? He needed it. This is, was the accepted way. This was what he needed to do to be able to live. Had they given him money, he would have said thank you and they would have moved on. Peter and John would have felt good because, hey, we helped the poor guy. And on some level, there's nothing wrong with that. But imagine that you were in a terrible car accident. You're really banged up. EMS gets to the scene of the accident in record time. They grab you, they throw you in the back, and they take off toward the hospital. And they break every rule of the road and probably even a few laws of physics to get you there quickly. You're in such serious condition, they rush you in ahead of other people who've been sitting there. A doctor comes over and he tries to calm you down and say, don't worry, we've got this under control. We're going to take care of you. Now, before we start looking at your head injuries, before we start fixing some broken bones, I notice that you're a little overweight. So we're going to run some cholesterol tests first before we start doing these other things. What would you be thinking at that point? You'd probably be thinking, what a wonderful doctor. He is trying to keep me from having a heart attack years from now. Is he leaned over and told you he was going to pull some blood so he could do a cholesterol test? You'd probably grab him by his stethoscope and pull him close and say, what's the matter with you? Do you really think that my biggest problem is high cholesterol or the fact that my leg might be hanging off? I'm bleeding from all over the place, right? Well, how is it any different for us when we begin to deal with people's needs and we don't focus in on what's most important? How many of us are guilty today of helping people with real needs, but not their most important need? This can be true with our feeding ministry that we did yesterday, with our pathway ministry. If we give people food, we have helped a physical problem, and that is good. But if we don't help them with their need for a Savior, they will go to hell anyway. And what good is it for people to have full stomachs now, but then end up in hell? If we help someone in Pathway get off drugs or get off alcohol, but we don't introduce them to the one who can save them from hell, have we really helped them? Yes, but we helped them with something that was not as important as their greatest need. Is it good to help people with physical problems, financial problems? Of course it is. But if that's all we do, and they don't commit their life to Christ we will have helped them to miss the gospel. And we have many people who will come into the church 
who have nothing to do with the church. They come in with their hand out. They just want some food. They just want some money. And we can be tempted to give them something and feel good about ourselves because of what we're doing, but we're giving them the wrong impression that the church is only here to give you food or to give you money. And in our desire to help people, we're actually giving them the wrong message about what's most important. If we don't have our priorities right, we will miss our opportunity, our chance to help people have their need, their greatest problem, met. We never want to simply do social ministries, financial and physical help, only to ignore people's greatest need. But we need to be careful that it isn't an either-or. That we don't stop doing physical ministry and say, well, you know what, that's not their most important need, so we're not going to bother doing that. We don't have to make a choice between helping physical, financial needs and spiritual needs. We can do both. We just need to make sure that we're doing both. This man asked for money, and people will ask us for money. But just because people ask for certain things doesn't mean we need to settle for just giving them that. As the story plays out, Peter and John heal this man so that he can walk. Now think about it. Why was he asking for money? Because he didn't have a job. He couldn't make money. When they healed him, guess what? They didn't give him money, but what did he get? The ability to earn money. So they did help his financial problem, didn't they? But in the process of healing him, they also were able to preach to him about Jesus. And the miracle of fixing his legs led to them having the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Which is really what I want you to see this morning in this first point. We don't do one or the other. We do physical ministries and spiritual ministries. And oftentimes the reason we do the physical ministry is to have an open door to share the gospel. We use these opportunities to have contact with people so that we can point them to Jesus. We must not allow ourselves to ever fall short of the most important. Because... Come on, people. We know what's most important. If we've been transformed by the power of Christ and we understand heaven and hell and what it takes to get to heaven, how can we settle for anything but dealing with people's most important problem? If we don't get that, how can the people out there get it? Because they don't know the truth the way we do. They don't understand the Bible. Second, not only do they understand what's most important... In this story, we see that Peter and John keep the focus on Jesus, not on themselves. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses here. Chapter 3, verse 12 says this. When Peter saw that this crowd was assembling, he addressed the people and said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power, our own righteousness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, 
whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, drop down to chapter 4 real quick. Look at verse 10. Acts 4.10 says, Peter continues, he said, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Jesus this man is standing before you well. What were they doing? They were making sure that the people knew it was Jesus who had done the work in this man's life. Now, I don't know about you. I, I would be honest this morning. Come on, I'd be tempted. When the people came around and said, how did you do that? Well, you know, you just got to know how to do it. I'd have taken some credit for it, right? Because nobody else was doing it, right? But they understood this was not a moment for them to be in the spotlight and to take the credit. They knew that they did not deserve the credit because God had done it through them in the name of Jesus. They didn't do it themselves. As we can do our ministry in the church, we want to make sure that people know we're not doing this because we're good people. Most of the people who know you, come on, most of the people who know you know you're not that good. Right? So we're not going to go out there and puff ourselves up and say, oh, we're such good people. We live a righteous life and we try to live good lives. But we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, not because we're so good. We keep the focus on Jesus. He is the one who has raised this man up. We want to make sure that when people see changes in us, and they give us praise for the change that they see in our lives. Oh, you used to be this. You used to be an alcoholic. You're no longer that. You want to make sure that you always point them to Jesus and say, it's not me that deserves the credit. It's God who did the work in my life. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Number three. What we see in these two men, we need to emphasize, is obedience. Yes, God was working through them. It was through the power of Christ that this man is healed. But... Let's not overlook the fact that these two men were being obedient. We are told to share the gospel of Christ, to tell others about Jesus. We are commanded. It is not a suggestion. It is not something that is recommended to us. We are commanded to tell others about the power of Jesus Christ and people's need for a Savior. And if we don't do it... If we don't tell others about Christ, we are not being obedient. Period. Now let me repeat that. If you are not actively with your mouth telling other people about Jesus Christ and their need for God's Savior, you are not an obedient Christian. You hear many people say, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. Do you witness? 
If you aren't opening your mouth and telling other people about Jesus, stop saying that you're an obedient Christian because you're not. This is not something for some of us to do. This is not just for missionaries. This is not just for pastors. All of us are commanded to tell others about Jesus. And what we see in this story is the obedience of these two men. Not just before as they're talking to this man, but after they get in trouble, they are being obedient and telling other people about Christ. Number four, not only do we see these two men being obedient to Christ, we see their boldness. As Peter is speaking that day, especially in chapter four, he is speaking to the most powerful, influential people in all Judea. These are the most powerful, intellectual people of position in that area. Outside of Rome, these are the people who are in charge. Peter is just a fisherman. Yeah, yeah, I get it. He's been walking around with Jesus for three years being taught. You know what he is? He's still a fisherman. He hasn't been educated. He hasn't been trained in the finest schools. He's sat at the feet of Jesus. That's what he's done. In verse 2 of chapter 4, we're told that the people were greatly annoyed. By that they mean the Sadducees and the power people. First, the Sadducees were a religious group of that day who didn't believe in the resurrection. Now let me clarify, it's not that they didn't believe in Jesus' resurrection. They didn't believe in any resurrection at all. They didn't believe anybody was going to come back from the grave. Most of the people in that day didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They said there's no such thing as resurrection. When you die, that's it. You're done. And so when Peter and John started preaching resurrection, not Jesus' resurrection, but resurrection in general through Jesus, they got annoyed. We'll see that today, people. When you start challenging what people believe, they will get annoyed at you. The second thing, reason why I think they were annoyed, in chapter 3, again repeated in chapter 4, Peter made it a point to let them know that they had killed Jesus. You crucified him. He was the Messiah. He was the anointed of God and you killed him. And then he gets that little dig in there and says, oh, by the way, Pilate wanted to release him, but you wouldn't let him. You made him. Remember that part of the story? Pilate tried again and again. Peter comes along and he calls him on it. He said, guys, Jesus would have been released if it was up to Pilate, but you had him killed anyway. My experience has been that most people don't like being accused of being murderers. I don't know why, but they don't. Okay? (laughs) We see a boldness here in Peter. He had to know when you call people murderers, they're not going to be happy. And he calls several times. He accuses them of knowingly, willingly killing an innocent man. If you look at the Peter here and the way that he is preaching, <coughs> excuse me, Acts 1-8 has been fulfilled. 
What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Boy, if you don't see the power in Peter, you haven't been paying attention. Because this is the same Peter that when he was in the courtyard when Jesus was on trial, you know Jesus, don't you? Not me. Not me. He couldn't deny Jesus enough. And you know why Peter denied Jesus three times? Because nobody asked him a fourth time. Had he been asked a fourth time, he would have denied Jesus again. And yet, now, as he is preaching about Jesus and they're getting annoyed, what does he know? They're getting annoyed. They're not happy. Now, the break in the story, when they throw them in jail at night, they say, we don't have time to deal with this. We'll come back tomorrow. Peter and John had all night to think about what they were going to say the next day. Come on. They already knew that they were ticking people off. How do you know? Because when they throw you in jail, you're pretty sure they're not happy with you. Okay? They had all night to think about it. Well, what are we going to say? Well, uh, we could start by saying we're sorry. We could say, oh, oh you misunderstood. Uh, we're, we're, we're sorry. We didn't mean to offend you. All night long, they get to sit in jail thinking about what they say are going to say the next day. They pull them back out the next day and they say, what's going on? They said, well, we did it because of Jesus, the guy you killed. Good job, guys. <laughs> You've already got them upset. You know they're upset. And what do you do? You boldly look them in the eye and tell them the exact same thing. This is the Holy Spirit at work in them. This is quite a difference from the Peter that we saw before the crucifixion. Did Peter learn his lesson when he denied Christ? Did he grow? No. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what changes him. From a cowardly man who won't even tell a young girl that he knows Christ to boldly saying to the most powerful people in the land, you killed Jesus. That's boldness. The Spirit helps him in this situation. Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says, When the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They looked at them and they say, there's nothing impressive about them. They're uneducated people. They're just fishermen. But something's going on here. They saw two things. They saw the boldness of two uneducated men. They said, we can't give them credit for being bold because they're trained in public speaking. Because they're educated. They're not. They haven't been to any public speaking classes. But the second thing is that they see they've been with Jesus. Now, I believe that that been with Jesus there 
ought to say or could say they've been with the resurrected Jesus. That they saw that the disciples had been with Jesus. Well, duh, they've been following around for three years. That's not impressive. But what's impressive is they say, we think they've been with this resurrected Jesus. That's what moved them. And they said, we don't know what to do now. we got these bold guys who speak to us about something that we can't even deny. And what was it that they couldn't deny? That stinking lame man was standing there. Did you see that? Was standing there beside them. Oh, that's irritating. Right? Here they want to undercut what Peter and John are saying. And right there is this lame guy who's no longer lame. And they're like, right? Yeah, how, how are you going to deny it? Yeah, we don't think you healed him. And the guy's like, really? Right? As he starts doing a dance right in front of him, you don't think they healed me? They couldn't argue against us. We see the boldness here. But I want you to see the connection. They were obedient and they had boldness. In our lives, that's often, that's usually the way that it comes. The boldness follows obedience. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you wait to feel bold before you're obedient, you will probably never be obedient. We sit back and we cower in our fear. Well, when I feel bold, then I'll say something, but I just didn't feel like it. And God said He was going to give me boldness, and when God gives me boldness, then I'll say something. No, boldness follows obedience. It doesn't usually come before it. When we start to speak, it is an act of obedience. And then the boldness will come. This past week, I got the privilege of going to Southeastern Seminary where I'm on the board of trustees. And one of the things that we do every time is, is on Tuesday morning after we have our final meeting, we go to chapel. And that is a great experience to go and to see all these young kids who are studying to be ministers, studying to be missionaries. And I look around that room and I think, I used to be that young. I, I used to be in seminary 30 years ago. Right? Literally. And I look around at all these young kids wearing their ball caps turned around backwards, tattoos, ear piercings, all this stuff. And we at the close of the chapel service got to get together. There's a picture on Facebook. You'll see it. Where all these kids come together that are going out on the mission field. We got to pray for them. We got to lay hands on them. It was a moving experience because these are kids who are going out and being obedient to God. And you know what? Then the boldness is going to come. If they sit in their comfortable classrooms in North Carolina and they say, we're going to wait for boldness before we go overseas. They'd never go. We're sitting in one of our board meetings 
And one of the vice presidents gets up and he says, you know what, we've got some good news and we've got some bad news. And he pointed to a man and he said, see that guy? He said, he's been my right-hand man. He's been my assistant for the last six years. He said, he's quitting. He said, we're going to lose him. He's going to Afghanistan to be a missionary. Did you hear me? Afghanistan to be a Christian missionary. And the vice president said, we can't be upset because this is what we teach. We're to go to the nations to preach the gospel. And this man is quitting his job. He's moving to Afghanistan with his family, with his wife and three children so that they can preach the gospel. Obedience comes before boldness. If you're waiting to be obedient for the boldness, it won't happen. Chapter 4, we're told about how the Spirit of God fell on them and moved them. But they were obedient first. But then we start seeing something else. Five. They keep going. They're obedient to Christ. They keep witnessing about Christ. And then the persecution comes. And what we're told is, They keep going. You see, witnessing for Christ is not a once and done kind of thing. It's not like the Boy Scouts where you're trying to earn a merit badge and you do it just once to show you know how to do it, but then you never do it again. Witnessing is to be a way of life for us. The power of Christ has changed your life. It didn't just change you once and done. It changed your life from that point forward. Amen? Will we give testimony for the rest of our life to what God has done in our lives? When the disciples started to face opposition, we would have been tempted, you know, I'm not doing that again. If you think it was bad to be locked up in jail overnight, keep reading the book of Acts. Come back next week. It gets worse. But when we are called to witness, we're not called to witness just when it's easy. And when you get later on in chapter 4, and they're released, they finally say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Don't do that anymore. And they leave and they go out and keep preaching in Jesus' name. Chapter 4, verse 29, we're told that they begin to pray after they're released. I know what I'd be praying after I was released. Thank you, God. Don't ever let him lock me up again. And God would be saying, all right, it was overnight, okay? It wasn't that big a deal, okay? I mean, God, don't don't let him hurt us ever again. They don't. In Acts 4.29, you know what they pray for? They pray for boldness to go out and preach again. They don't pray that God would protect them. They say, give us some boldness so we can keep doing this. In our lives, we're called to keep on going even when it gets difficult. Now, quickly, let's put a finer point on this while we're here. This Holy Spirit stuff works. We've been talking about, we've been seeing how the work of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus going back to heaven. It continues through the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit stuff works if you'll work it. 
If we sit back and wait for the Holy Spirit to make us obedient, we'll never be obedient. Last week we talked about this. The Holy Spirit works best in willing people. Don't expect to speak in boldness if you won't speak. If you're not willing to open your mouth when you're nervous, when you're afraid. And I'm going to tell you from personal experience, and some of you can testify to this. Sometimes when you start to witness for Christ, your voice will crack. But that's okay. Keep going. And as you keep going, the boldness comes. Have you ever been witnessing to somebody and you start saying some stuff and you're like, wow, where'd that come from? That came from the Holy Spirit. But if you wait in your mind and you say, you know what, I need to think about what I say before I say it, you'll never say it. Just start talking. Just start witnessing. It will work. The power will come once we open our mouth and start talking. Trusting God doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. Trusting God means we step out in faith when our knees are knocking. And then the Spirit comes upon us and gives us that obedience, that, that, that boldness because we're obedient. You hear people say all the time, well, I'm not a public speaker. Did you notice there's nowhere in Scripture where we're commanded to be public speakers? We're commanded to be witnesses for Christ. And the truth of the matter is, you're going to have very few opportunities to be a public speaker for Christ. I'm not a public speaker. Good, nobody wants you to be. Most of our opportunities to witness to Christ are not going to be with a room full of people. Not even a group of people. Your best witnessing opportunities will come when you're talking to one person. Maybe two. How many times do you say, well, I'm not a public speaker. And we use that as an excuse to not talk about Christ. God didn't say, you will be witnesses if you're a public speaker. We are commanded to witness all of us. And Jesus even promised that the Holy Spirit will give us the words when we need them. Most of the time, it's just over coffee when we're talking to a friend. When we're in the break room at work. Those are the times, one-on-one, that we're going to have an opportunity to tell people about what God has done in our life through Jesus Christ and invite them to commit their life to Christ. Don't just invite people to church. Yes, invite them to church. But don't just invite somebody to church and say, well, I witnessed for Jesus. No, you invited them to church is what you did. Talk about their need for a Savior and how God has changed your life through Jesus Christ. Last week we saw how God helped His people to speak languages they didn't even know. Remember? So that they could witness to people in other languages in languages they didn't even know. Come on. If God could help those people in that day speak languages they didn't even know so that they could witness for Christ, 
don't you think God can work through you to speak English, a language that most of us kind of know? Right? If God could do that through those people, don't you think God could speak through you, through your language, the language that you know? Now, look at verse 12 in chapter 4. We're going to close with this. What do we boldly witness about? Verse 12. This is what Peter says. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You want to talk to people about Christ the next time somebody tells you that they think they're going to heaven because they're a good person? Say, did you know that's not what Scripture teaches? Well, I believe that all religions are just as good. You ever people say that? Say it all the time today. I believe that all religions are just as good. You see the bumper stickers we got now? Coexist. All the different symbols for the religions. We just need to all get along and coexist because it's all the same. God doesn't care as long as you've got a religion. And people believe that that is an intelligent position to take. Only problem is... Peter specifically says, in the Word of God, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. And when you start preaching that, when you start sharing that with other people, you will annoy people. Trust me. They may not have the power to throw you in jail, but they'll wish they could. And we are called to boldly preach that message. Not salvation by good works, by going to church, but salvation through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. This stuff works. If you'll work it. This stuff has power. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the power. Why aren't we seeing it in our lives? Because we're sitting on our hands, not telling other people about Jesus. We're waiting for somebody else to be obedient. We're waiting for somebody else to be bold rather than speaking for Christ ourselves. What are you waiting for?